Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. trying my best folks I'm trying I'm trying my best to get you one at least one podcast every week up here on Sacred City Vision Trip and for a guy that likes to talk um, and and typically has a lot to say I'm finding it kind of difficult especially when I have weeks like like last week my my week got blown up I usually try to sit down either on Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon and uh, organize some thoughts and sit down in front of a microphone for a little bit uh, but my schedule, uh, got chaotic. There were several things going on in the church that needed my attention, and uh, I needed to, to focus my energies there. And so I wasn't able to do this, and because of that, I thought it might be a good opportunity to talk about what exactly a pastor does, because a lot of people are unaware of the scope, the range, the the weight, um, and just the overall general um, load of pastoral responsibilities that God calls pastors into. Um, aside from Sundays, Sundays are typically obvious. You see, you know, pastors are preaching and maybe leading the liturgy or doing whatever they might be doing. Um, but there's tends to be some question mark uh, around the rest of the week. And contrary to popular belief, pastors work more than one day a week, right? It's not like I get to show up on Sunday, open up the Word of God, tell everybody what to do, and then close my Bible and then pick it back up again next week. There's a lot. There's a lot that transpires between um, Sunday afternoon and um the following Sunday morning. And so I want to talk about a little bit of that. And I realized that that uh, part of the unfamiliarity with this topic um, is, is um, because we don't talk about this very often. And and in part, you know, like I don't feel like that's a big emphasis where I need to sit down and, and let everybody know what my week looks like or what my job description entails. I, I don't necessarily feel that way. Um, I, I'm not out here to be self-seeking or to create some sort of a pity party or to try to show how my job is harder than your job. That's not, that's not what I'm out to do. That's not at all what I'm out to do. Um, I, I want to help um, the members of the body understand the God-given responsibilities that a pastor has, um, and in that maybe address some misconceptions about what a pastor does or doesn't do, um, and give you a vision and give you some sort of understanding as to why God has put a pastor in your life or why you need a pastor, what they're here for. Um, and really, the only times that we get to talk about that is in our membership classes. We've got one session that's devoted to that, and you go through the membership process, talk about it once, and we don't really revisit it unless um, the text that we're preaching through on a Sunday morning calls for it exactly. So unless you're in like First uh, Timothy or Titus um, in the towards the end of the book of the Hebrews, or you know, like going through Acts where you see Paul appointing elders um, in Acts twenty. It just doesn't come on the radar very often, um, unless you're really looking for it or trying to talk about it. Then there are some other spots where you could, 
probably do that. But I, I here have a little bit of a platform to talk about it through here, which I think is helpful for the life of the church. Um, and so I, I want to open up this conversation and talk about the different types of offices that the church, uh, the, the different offices that the church has that the Bible speaks of. Um, and there are really only two. Um, there are elders and there are deacons. Those are the two formal offices uh, that we see in the scriptures. Now, we have invented a lot of other uh, labels or, or roles or titles, I guess you could say. You, you've got a director of this or uh, the minister of that or, you know, you, you kind of, we kind of, the makeup words about it. Um, for whatever uh, ministry position that there is, and, and those might be helpful. I'm not. I'm not uh, saying that those are bad, um, but Scripture gives us two to work with, um, and so I think primarily we need to understand the leadership roles of the church through the biblical lens of elders and deacons. And we have this phrase that we use um, to help us sort of differentiate and sort of um, acknowledge the differences between elders and deacons, because there are we will see there's similarities here. They both both offices have character and. Uh, qualifications that need to be met, um, spiritual qualifications, moral qualifications, um, even household qualifications. And you can read those in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. Um, we can see that both of, of these offices of elders and deacons are vetted, they're tested, and they are appointed by uh, a local body or a, a ruling elders of sorts. Um, to appoint specific people to the specific ministry. So I can't just say, wake up one day and say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling like an elder today. Uh, I'm going to go waltz into uh, a church and, and declare my position. No, that, that doesn't work like that, at least not according to Scripture. Um, and so, uh, but the distinctives, there's a lot of distinctives. And one of the ways that we, we sort of draw the difference between elders and deacons is, is this simple phrase. It's a little bit reductionistic, but it gets the point across. It says, elders serve the church by leading, and deacons lead the church by serving. So you can see here that elders serve the church by leading, and it, it acknowledges the uh, primary responsibility or primary emphasis on the elders is that of leadership. Um, and, and believe it or not, exercising leadership is a way of serving. So to give direction. And and what I'm going to do here is kind of unpack more of what this means to, to be an elder or the responsibilities that are all entailed with leading uh, a local congregation. Um, that is a form of service to the church in offering leadership. Now, deacons show leadership um, by offering their service, okay? And so that they tend to be more um, ministry-focused, like uh, what I mean by ministry is they have, have a particular area that they have their focus, whether that's the finance team or worship or, um, or let me think, what else? Um, you could even get into facility management, right? Taking care of the facilities. There's deacons, missional community leaders tend to to fall under the categories. That's how we think of them, at least, and moving more towards a formalized structure of, of appointing them as deacons. Um, and so they have a specific place where they are devoted to, and they are um, they're leading through service um, in that place. Um, some of the other distinctives between those two, um, between elders and deacons, as far as their their focus, um, and and I don't want to get into this a ton because this could be its own own podcast, and maybe one day we'll get into it. Um, but we see that the office of deacon is open up to both men and women. Um, we see that in First Timothy, where there's an, the inclusiveness uh, of of including women. Um, as husbands or as men into the office. Um, in Romans 16, we see uh, Phoebe, who is a deaconess. Um, and so there's biblical evidence of, of one, the, the pronoun, well, I'll get to that one too, the pronouns in, in the, the qualifications for elders is only male masculine pronouns, um, where it's opened up. 
for women um, are included there, and then to actually have the biblical evidence. Um, where the elder, is, the office of elders reserved for men. It's masculine pronouns through that. Um, the husband of one wife, there's there's nothing, no directive uh, for um, women in that passage. Um, and part of the, the calling of the elders is to manage the household of God in a way um, that reflects their management of their own household. So they, they're exercising... Um, their headship that they have, it says, as, as a husband, a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Um, that even within the household of God, there is this this male-led or father-led patriarch is the biblical term, and you see it throughout the whole Old Testament, um, and you see it into the New Testament, and and um, is the patriarch. It's father-led. It's it's husband. Um, it's head of the household, led, and it's and that is reflected also in church leadership. And again, I can we could spend a lot of time talking about that. That's not the the intent here um, that I want to spend most of the time on today. Uh, I'm going to stop it there so I don't start start rambling any more than what I am. Um, but the other a couple other differences here that see between elders and deacons is that elders must be able to teach in the qualifications, and and deacons are not. Now deacons could be able to teach, um, but it's not required in order to hold the office as it is with elders. Where if you're an elder. Um, there is an expectation that you have the ability to teach. In fact, it's it's one of the primary responsibilities that you have as an elder is is to teach, um, and that could look in like different things in different contexts. There's the, obviously um, the preaching of God's word that's a form of teaching and proclamation, um, and then there's the more like um, classroom setting, right? Teaching. Um, people how to be godly husbands and godly wives and godly children and and godly employers and things of that nature and working through every aspect of life um, and, and having this focus on here's how I'm going to teach you or I'm going to teach you how how to conform your life to the scriptures that, that's one of the responsibilities that we'll get into here with the office of of elder but also um, like I mentioned before um, the scope and the responsibility of elders is is it encompasses the whole life of the church, whereas the deacons focus on a particular ministry area. For example, Acts 6 is a place where we see uh, the apostles, who are the first elders, um, say, they, somebody brings a charge against them. The Hellenists say, um, there are people, there are widows that are being neglected um, from their daily distribution. They're not getting the food that they need. And so the apostles say, listen, we, we shouldn't give up preaching uh, the word of God to serve tables. And so we're going to pick seven, it says seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will uh, who we will appoint to this duty. Um, but we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so we see this emphasis for elders to have uh, the, the um, their emphasis on the word and prayer, we'll come back to that, but deacons are focused on, in this particular case, um, making sure people are getting what they need food-wise and serving tables. Um, so, so then the other side, when the elders say that, they say they're, what they're saying is that we are responsible for the spiritual vitality and theological precision of the assembly. Um, and you can see that when they say they're devoted to the, the ministry of the word, right? Preaching the word, teaching the word, and of prayer. And, and prayer is a sign of vitality. It's it's like um, when when Jesus talks about, uh, I'm the vine, uh, you are the branch, right? That's what prayer life is. It's drawing that vitality. And for a pastor to draw that vitality uh, for himself, but also to do it um, in a way that, that leads the church into vitality, invites them into their own kind of vi- vi- vitality. Um, and so I want to kind of unpack 
what that means um, to say that that elders are devoted to the ministry of the word and to the ministry of prayer and show what all that entails. And one of the ways that we can understand what it is that the elders do is to view things through the different names the Bible uses for elders. So when you're reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, it actually says qualifications for overseers. It's, a, it's another word that gets used for um, elders or pastors. Um, uh, bishop is a word that sometimes, depending on your translation, will will kind of pop up in in the place of overseer, um, and so those are are three of the the three big categories or three big names um, that are used to denote the different roles and responsibilities of the same office. So when we say I'm a pastor, um, I when we talk, when they, when we say I'm a pastor at Sacred City, I'm saying that I'm also an elder and I'm also an overseer and I'm also a shepherd or a pastor. Um, and so it encapsulates all of those three things, um, or, or those, I'm, this is kind of confusing because there's like multiple, um, names for, for each one, but, um, it, each one sort of denotes a sort of unique responsibility. So elder is one that we use, um, it's, we use it a lot. I'm, I'm an elder at Sacred City Church, um, and it's frequently used throughout scripture. Um, and, and here, um, we see in, in, um, Acts six, the the emphasis is on the scriptures. Um, uh, their their responsibility is to teach. Now, in in some places through the scriptures, um, elder denotes someone's age. Um, but in the conversation of church leadership, that's not always true, uh, and we know that because Timothy, who is one of Paul's proteges, uh, he was an elder among the church. And he was notably younger than those who he was sent to lead. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And so one of the things that elders um, are meant to do is to set an example, um, that their life would be that they don't only teach wisdom, which according to the wisdom tradition, an elder was somebody who had obtained wisdom from God. Um, But wisdom isn't just merely intellect or or a collection of knowledge, but it's a skillful execution of how life works best or how God has worked, how God has made the world to work and living in accordance with this. And so this is not, this, this sense of godly wisdom is not simply limited to having a, a number of years under your belt and say, okay, I've arrived at a place of wisdom. And hopefully the older that you get, the more wise you get, though uh, that's not a guarantee that you become more wise with age, um, especially not when it comes to godly wisdom. Um, in fact, we can see wisdom when, when James is talking about wisdom. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give it gl- generously. And, and we do see God give wisdom generously, even wisdom that outpaces the age of those who have received it. Uh, it's where the mystery of life and salvation has been re- revealed to them um, through God, that, that he's given, he's imparted a special kind of wisdom that enables them, uh, even young folk, to um, live with the grain of the cosmos. Um, and because they have obtained this special kind of knowledge, this wisdom, they have a responsibility to teach it, to instruct, to, gl- to guide and declare the whole counsel of God, the wisdom of God. Um, so th- that's why there's this heavy emphasis on teaching the Word of God, that an elder must be able to teach. Um, but, but also, the elder must be able to embody that. Um, and you see that again, going back to 1 Timothy 4, 
but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. That there's there's a way that um, the elders should be able to embody that message, that virtue, um, that that faith that they uh, speak of or want to teach about. And and I think that's key. And and that's one of the you can you can go to the qualifications of elders and deacons for that matter and see how that's the case. Um, when when we're, that our doctrine must uh, be manifest in the life of that elder. Um, and so th- that is the beginning when you talk about eldership, um, the ability to teach and to demonstrate a life lived uh, in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of life. Um, so that the teaching, the demonstration. Now we can move to the, the next um, lens that we can look through this office through, um, and that is the overseer, or, or some tra- like I said, some tra- translation says uh, the bishop. And this provides more of, a, of a, a, an emphasis on leadership. Um, specifically big-picture leadership, providing uh, vision and missional direction for the church. There, This is where elders are asking God, um, where is God taking us? Where does God want us to go? And what's our part in reaching that goal? And so um, what their responsibility is and having that word from the Lord, whether, whether it's like, you know, I'm going to... Very rarely is there this Mount Sinai moment where it's like, yes, I've heard clearly from God, and I know this is a thousand percent what we need to do, and our, our plans will not be foiled by any stretch of the imagination. Very rarely um, can we do that with anything that's not already included in the scriptures. Um, but what they're doing is is they're making uh, decisions, hopefully wise decisions, um, based upon the character and activity of God as articulated through the scriptures that best serve the vision and the mission of the church within a specific context. And so they're, they're thinking contextually, how does the church function? What is it that we need to be doing? Um, what's, the, what's the next strategy? There's some strategizing that goes in there, and it's not like it's not like these gimmicky strategies, but how are we, think of it as intentionality. Where are we going to invest our time and our emphasis um, to, to reach this goal? And, and to do this, um, and to do this uh, in accordance with God requires a lot of uh, priority on, on prayer um, and the Word. It's not just a matter of intuition. It's not just a leadership intuition or a matter of personal preference of, oh, I think this sounds good right now. Um, there, there is this, this question of, what does the Lord want us to do? And to be able to go to God in prayer and ask and, and search the scriptures and walk away with uh, some kind of inclination of here's where we ought to go and provide that that overseeing, that vision, that missional direction. Now, another piece of overseeing is overseeing theological accuracy, or in other words, uh, making sure the church is orthodox, that that we are operating within accordance to the scriptures, that we have the right belief um, and so one of the things that you can see that that takes place is Sunday mornings um, are preaching. Uh, we're using where there's a concern for theological accuracy is what we're saying true. Does it line up with the scriptures? Does it point to Jesus? Um, same questions for our worship and liturgy, uh, for the administering of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right. We want to make sure that we are theologically in the bounds of scripture. Um, and then, and then, even going into missional community life of hey, are are is the curriculum that we use is it gospel centered? Is it is it true? Is it scriptural? Um, and all of those things, so that we do have theological accuracy, that we as Christians are filling our minds up with the truth, which is very uh, a high concern for us. 
And then um, we don't just focus on orthodoxy, but we need to oversee orthopraxy, uh, the right practice of those truths or biblical conformity, that our lives are tailored and reformed according to the scriptures. And so this leads into overseeing discipleship of, of people. And this may not necessarily be one-on-one, um, and there might be seasons of that, but, but having a vision for discipleship um, for the church in general, where we have systems and structures set up in place um, to aid people in growth uh, and becoming more like Christ in, in all of life, to have a vision, um, really, to, I mean, as your pastor, I have a vision for your life. And sometimes people don't, you know, I sit down with people and say, hey, where, where are you trying to go in life? And, and they don't have an answer. And it's like, as a pastor, I have a general vision for your life. Not, not that I'm going to tell you where to live or who to marry or anything like that, though I think the, the scriptures can speak to that uh, in some circumstances. Um, but I have a vision of, of, man, God has put me in your life to help you pursue godliness. Um, and so in that sense, yeah, I have a vision for every single member of Sacred City Church that their conduct and their character would be in line with the scriptures and, and, um, and, and, and point to Jesus, that their households um, would demonstrate uh, godliness that in their marriage with parenting, um, our civil life with work and, and how we relate to the government and church life. All of those things uh, would, would be addressed in discipleship and making sure we have um, the context to address those things, and then calling people, continually calling people into a life that Christ commands us to live, not just on Sundays, you know? So so it's actually beyond Sundays and, and far beyond Sundays and far-reaching into every nook and cranny of life. And then in order to do that, right, requires the ability to develop leaders because as, as a sole pastor at Sacred City of Moline, I, I cannot, we're at about 100 people these days, um, which is very exciting to be kind of at that benchmark, but for me to be in the life, to be meaningfully in the life um, and, and uniquely in the life of everybody um, in the church is, I just don't, have, there's not enough of me to go around. Um, and so one that, that calls for a plurality of elders to be able to shepherd the flock better, but also to develop leaders and, and under, under shepherds, um, missional community leaders and um, people who are in fight clubs and Porterbrook guys and and gals and all that stuff to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, as Ephesians 4 says. So it's not just the work of the ministry doesn't just fall on pastors and church leaders of that sense. It's for the saints. It's for your everyday disciple to carry out the the ministerial work. Um, and, And to do that, we need to develop leaders who can equip those saints for ministry, which requires, to some extent, some systems, some structures for scalability, for growth, um, so that we can continue to be effective and uh, have as, as large of a reach as the Lord will allow us um, so that we, well, and so one, so we don't get too big for our britches, um, and three, two, what am I doing here? One, one to three. Oh, boy. Um, so we don't get, you know, so we don't have people get lost in the sauce. Um, we want people to, to be accounted for and to have um, somebody that, that's looking out for their discipleship, taking responsibility for their discipleship and offering um, some leadership in their life, which requires the need to build, develop leaders and build those systems um, so that we can operate. And then um, we, we see that just the overall responsibility, oh, the, the overseer has an overall responsibility for anything and everything that's going on within the local church, um, from how the finances are used to what ministries get priority to um, the the Sunday gathering to small groups and missional communities and fight club, you know, you go down the list, they, they ought to have their finger on the pulse of everything. And I think that this is one of the reasons why Paul, he, he senses this responsibility, not only for 
the church that he's at in the moment, but he says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says that he faces a daily pressure uh, of this concern for all of the churches. And so he he takes this on. He He's like the overseer, and, and not just over one church, but of many churches um, as he's writing this, that um, he he's clearly taking that responsibility. And, and the last one, the lens that we look through, is um, that of a shepherd or a pastor. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, we refer to Jesus as the good shepherd. He's, that's how he reveals himself to us, that he is a good shepherd. Um, a shepherd is a... Um, uh, an image uh, that is used throughout Scripture to articulate God's care for His people. And Jesus is the good shepherd, and Jesus appoints for the church under shepherds to um, operate in His stead um, until He comes back to be with us in the flesh. And so the the under shepherds that Jesus appoints, right, there's character, there's, there's qualifications that need to be met, there's theological, um, obviously you have to hold to orthodox, beliefs and all of that matter and hold to the mystery of faith, as he says, for for deacons, which should also be true of elders, um, that these elders, these under-shepherds are operating on the borrowed authority that comes from Jesus in order to successfully tend to the flock. It's like, it's like, um, it's like we're babysitters, you know, um, the pastors are kind of like babysitters. Maybe, maybe this is a crude, um, don't hold me accountable for this. Um, but like babysitters, like mom and dad are the ones who have the real authority over the kids, right? They're the ones who say, here's the house rules. Here's what we're going to operate by. Here's what discipline looks like. And then when they leave to go on date night, they put babysitters in charge to say, okay, here's the house rules. We're expecting you to, to hold our kids to these rules. Let us know if there's any problems, but we're, we're delegating some authority to you to uh, keep our house from coming, you know, coming undone or, or going up in flames while we're away on this nice date to Applebee's. Um, which, guys, if you're going to Applebee's, let me just say this. There are so many better restaurants that you should be going to in the Quad Cities. Support some local businesses, okay? Um, God bless Applebee's, but I'll pass. Uh, sorry, that was a weird sidebar. Um, what was I even saying, guys? Oh, man. Um, borrowed authority, right? Babysitter has borrowed authority. Same, same with pastors. Pastors have authority. Scripture says that um, that there's authority. It's not necessarily in and of the pastors, but the authority is the, the word of God. And so one of the jobs, again, going back to teaching and and demonstrating or modeling um, a godly life comes from the authority of God's word, which Christians ought to believe in. In fact, that, that's one of the marks of orthodoxy is, is the authority and uh, the supremacy of the scriptures, um, the final arbiter on all matters. Um, and so there's this authority that comes to the under shepherds through Jesus so that we can tend to the flock uh, while Jesus is currently seated at the right hand of the Father. And of course, we are operating with the Holy Spirit who is at work in us. And so um, when Jesus says he's with us until the end of the age, the Spirit is also at work with uh, within the uh, under shepherds of the flock as well as the members of the flock. But with this idea of a shepherd of the flock or the pastor, um, there comes these four things, to know, to lead, to feed, to protect, okay? And so to know the flock. In 1 Peter 5, 2... Um, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so this, this implies that as pastors, you aren't detached from the church. You aren't like up on this pedestal somewhere. Um, while there is authority that, that a pastor has, biblically speaking, um, they are not like detached as like some celebrity, you know, um, upper echelon 
um, demographic of the church. That's not the case. It says shepherd the flock of God that is among you, meaning that you are implanted within the local church. And this is one of the reasons why I'm part of a missional community, um, why I'm leading a missional community, and why I will forever be part of a missional community is because I want to be among the flock. I want to be, like, even even in, in our membership covenant, um, all of the pastors, in, in what when they make the commitments of Sacred City Church, its commitment to its its members, um, one of those commitments is that we are going to function as a church member. Everything that we ask you to do, we are going to do ourselves, whether that's involvement from the Sunday gatherings and missional communities to financial giving to the way that we organize our homes, our commitment to purity, all of those things that we call people to in church membership, we are going to fulfill them and then go beyond that as the, the scriptures require for the qualifications of elders and deacons. Um, but there is a... A sense of that is to know the flock, of being among the flock and in the people, with the people, um, because that's that's what Jesus did. Jesus came. He, he was his incarnational ministry. That's what it is. Um, Jesus was implanted among his sheep, and he says that my sheep know my voice. And so um, hopefully as we lead and feed and protect and know the flock and we're speaking and we're teaching and directing, um, the flock of God can hear Jesus's voice, even though it comes through, um, you know, guys like me that that are imperfect and, and are just merely conduits for the word of God. Um, and so to op- for under shepherds to know the flock to operate on the authority of Jesus as under shepherds, then and then with that comes to lead right to 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 lead requires some kind of authority. Um, and in First Peter five twenty two goes on um, or two. I don't, man, I've got my scriptures messed up here. It says shepherd the flock among you. I think it must be two. Um, shepherd the flock that of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so this exercising oversight, again, goes back to the overseer stuff, right? There's a connection here. You can see that the, these are not detached offices or these titles. Um, they're detached. There's a lot of overlap. And so, but that, that is the oversight, the, the leadership capacity to teach, to guide, to instruct, and to counsel according to the Word of God, which means, you know, um, the primary call um, of a leader is to lead the church in a life of repentance and faith, of turning from sin, of forsaking uh, our, our worthless idols and clinging to the, the the God of the cosmos, the one who is preeminent in all things and clinging to him in faith. And so the leadership stuff, I, I won't go into it. All of that over- overseeing stuff that I mentioned uh, above that um, gets kind of lumped into here too. And then feeding the flock is, is this, that God's people need to, or excuse me, God's under shepherds need to lead God's people to pastures which they can feast in. And whether that's Sunday morning gatherings, feasting on the word of God, whether that's things like Porterbrook or um, uh, fight scene to fight clubs or, you know, campaigns that we've done in the past, like this Feast to Flourish or even um, the, the hospitality campaign that we did in the previous year, um, we, we want to help you feast on the word of God and, and see how that sustains us. Nothing else does. It's not the success of the ministry that sustains us. It's God's word that sustains us so that even through thick and thin that we are forever sustained by God. Um, so feeding, that, that's a huge responsibility. Again, that goes back to the teaching aspect um, and then to protect the flock. Now, this is one of the things that gets overlooked, and, and especially as we talk about church discipline. I think I mentioned that in the previous episode. This is this is very important for um 
the the elders to do, for the pastors to do, is to protect the flock of God. And, and this is something that Paul warns the elders in Ephesus about as he's appointing them. He says to be on guard for savage wolves that will come and devour the flock. He's like, there are people that will come from the outside. And then later on, we see in some of his other writings, there, there are people, those are savage wolves that actually come from uh, w- within the church, those wolves in sheep clothing um, that want to derail the work of God that God has called us to, um, to, to, to lead the church astray, to get it to abandon orthodoxy and orthopraxy, um, or even um, to, to protect the church from the conduct that she is called to embody. And so there is this responsibility, one, to exercise faithful church discipline um, and also create standards for what is true and what is beautiful and what is good according to the Word of God and uphold that. And when there is something that's happening without, uh, that's out of bounds of that, to, to, be, um, to speak to it and either call it into repentance or to condemn it if it's unrepentant um, so that the, the reputation of Jesus can be protected and the culture of the church um, would be um, kept intact. It would be a gospel culture. And in order to do this, th- this this re- requires a bit of, of self-sacrifice. The The pastor has to have some skin in the game. It's, it's, it's going to come with blood, sweat, and tears a lot of the time um, because this is a calling of laying down their life as Jesus has done for us, right? That's, that's really, you know, my privilege um, is to show the church body what sacrificial love looks like, um, and model that so that throughout the whole church we kind of see that, and and it's a high calling, it's a hard calling. I'm just trying to fill. And husbands, you've got the same calling too within your households. It's the same principle that applies to the household of God of laying down your life uh, for the bride. And so um, the pastor's got skin in the game. He's going to get scratched up. He's going to get beat up a little bit. But his calling is to protect, uh, protect the church. And so this is just you know roughly to speaking to give you an idea of what the pastor actually does. And and week to week, here's an idea of, of real time for me, what this looks like as a sole elder, which um, I hope in the very, very near future we'll, we'll get some uh, some of our elder candidates assessed and um, have a plurality of elders here within our own context um, where some of this gets to be shared a little bit more than what it is now. That's really what, what I'm hoping for because it's it's not sustainable. Uh, sole eldership is just not sustainable. It's not, was not meant to be. And so... Um, so for me, week to week, it, well, some of the teaching um, aspects uh, on top of being as an exemplar of character um, and, and also being an exemplar of repentance when I've, I've missed the mark um, is that I have a teaching ministry of teaching responsibilities where um, each week I spend a, a pretty hearty chunk of my week in sermon prep um, and study for sermons um, so that I can get up to preach on Sunday morning. Uh, I want to be educated. I want to be able to preach the whole counsel of God. And like when you're in texts like Ezra and Nehemiah, where there's so much history and there's so much backstory and a, a bunch of nuance that's going on, you really got to devour the scriptures. Oh my gosh, I almost choked on my own spit. Oh. <laughs> uh, so that uh, you know what you're saying and you're, you don't make an idiot of it yourself. And, and I hope that with, as time progresses, I make uh, less of an idiot of it myself. Um, and then the other part of that is podcasts and trainings and, and uh, teaching leaders. Um, there's the theological oversight of Sunday gatherings that we've got to guard the non-negotiable doctrines of the faith um, and keep those intact. Um, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, have, there's responsibilities of de- developing leaders. Um, of meeting with leaders, of training leaders. We have Huddle, which is an MC for MC leaders that meets once a month. Um, We've got this elder development cohort that we've got a few guys moving through right now. 
Um, things like preaching lab. Once a month, I, I get a group of guys. Anybody who's interested in preaching or maybe you know testing it out that wants to grow in that that skill set for them to come in and and be taught how to do that. Um, and so there's there's a lot of that leadership, those systems, those structures. Um, creating campaigns and mission initiatives, things that we can say, hey, here's here's what we're going to work on. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and then to prayerfully make those decisions uh, with the elder team. Um, another big chunk is, is providing counsel. Like when people are in crisis um, or when people are in a place where they're, they're looking for direction in life or um, you know, marriage counseling, premarital counseling, things like that, providing counsel and helping people understand how the Word of God applies to all um, aspects of life. And then and then um, we're part of a, a church planting network, Acts 29. And so um, uh, beyond this local congregation, um, I'm meeting with other pastors and we're investing in, in their lives, strengthening, having some sort of a network um, that goes on that strengthens the churches within this region uh, to provide some brotherhood for that. So that that requires a bit of my time. Um, and uh, administration, man, that's a that's a that is a responsibility that I was not prepared for um, when I got into church planting. The amount of administration and communication and just the things that happen, um, things that have to be done to make things move smoothly. And and um, hopefully in this year we'll be able to hire um, some part time staff. Um, so some of this can be just delegated and not necessarily fall on all my shoulders here. And, and we've got volunteers. Don't, don't get me mistaken here. We've got volunteers that help out with a lot of this. Um, but things like staff meeting and, and doing like web and print stuff and any any sort of thing that you look at um, on the website or our printed materials, um, somebody's got to take care of that. Um, building oversight, facilities management, um, as we speak right now, we've got uh, people installing lights, and so we had to run the bids and do all this, and you know a bunch of cool stuff that's going on. But it takes time, it takes a little bit of energy, um, and uh, you know those are things that I think probably the apostles would have said, and as they did in, in Acts chapter six, hey, let's not let these things take us away from the ministry of uh, of the word and of prayer. And so some of this stuff can be offloaded, but in the season where uh, I'm the sole elder, there's somebody's got to do it, and I'm I'm the guy that's uh, getting paid to be here for for my work week. So um, at the time, so it's it's easy for my week to get slammed. It's easy to get filled up. In fact, um, every week I, I have to actually my calendar is budgeted with my time. So in order for me to um, make time to pray, because prayer doesn't just accidentally happen unless you get thrown into a tailspin. Um, but I actually set aside each week to pray. Um, I've got an hour um, here and there that's blocked off. So I, I would just be praying for the church, praying for certain things that are going on, praying for the elder candidates, praying, you know, all across the board, our mission, our missional communities, our MC leaders, all of it. So devoting myself to prayer in that regard, um, devoted, devoted myself to the scriptures beyond my normal daily um, disciplines that I would take care of if I were just, a, you know, if I were not in the, the uh, office of elder. Um beyond my normal prayer and, and Bible reading, but to study and to be a student of God's Word and dive into commentaries and, and really take, you know, for those, not everybody can have the time uh, to do this deep head work. And and so one of the things that I, I want to bless the church with is by having that time that I can do some of that work and, um, what do you call it, condense it or basically, you know, what's that word I'm thinking of? Um, basically, what is it? Con... Oh man. Well, it'll come to me when this podcast is over. 
But um, to make it so it's accessible for you, so you don't have to invest the amount of time that I did, and you just have all the same, you have the best information that's available right there at your fingertips. Um, and so doing all that stuff. And so it's easy for my week to get carried away, but I'm always putting room in it for um, for meetings, um, for leaders, especially leaders. I, I always want to put a priority on leaders and, and um, giving my MC leaders the attention and help that they need to carry out because they do carry a, a huge... I mean, honestly, to... I would say that that the MC leaders take so much of the pastoral um, sort of day-to-day, week-to-week responsibility, and then, and then I'm left with more of the um, high-grade sort of um, either sensitive topics or maybe more critical topics that are difficult to navigate, um, and I'm happy to step into those, but I'm also leading my own missional community, and so i got people that I'm doing that with. Um, and so easy, easy to see, to see how the job of a pastor can extend far beyond, uh, one day of a week. Um, and then, and then really to see that in the week, there's not a lot of clear boundaries because even when I'm off the clock, I'm on the clock, you know, it's, it's one of those things you just can't, can't turn it off. Um, and there's a danger here for pastors to turn, um, this kind of work into idolatry to make this. So it's, it's your identity is derived out of this. And so even it makes it so much more of a priority that pastors must consistently and constantly be pressing into their gospel identity. And that, that'd be one of the primary things that they lead the church in is like helping us to understand who we are in Christ, what's most true about you uh, because of Christ. And we can say this, that, that it was Jesus who appointed the elders, uh, the teachers, the pastors, um, the evangelists to equip the saints of the work of the ministry. We can say Jesus um, is doing this. This is his work. Um, they were gifts that were given to the church by Jesus so that the church would be built up, that she'd be built up in love, that she'd have this vitality, um, that, that each member would have this sense of, of um, growing in Christ's likeness and the image of Christ. And so that's really my hope um, as a pastor is that the glory of Jesus Christ would be very present here at Sacred City. And and honestly, um, it's a joy to do it. There are some tough seasons, hard days, um, long days, um, but honestly, it's a joy. And First Peter 5, 22 says this. Um, uh, oh, I had it right first. Well, maybe not. That might be a copy paste. I'm operating from a Word document here, so I'm not exactly sure, and I can't flip to it real quick. But uh, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, um, not under compulsion, but un- but willingly. All right, so doing it doing it willingly, as God would have you to do, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but but being examples to the flock. You see it again, being exa- examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I'm not doing this for the praise of man. Um, I'm not doing this for a paycheck. Um, I'm doing this because I believe God has called me into this. And I think every pastor, every gospel-loving pastor has this kind of conviction. I'm doing this because God has called me to this. And, and I know on the other side of this, um, there is an unfading crown of glory um, that that awaits. And, and my glory is Christ. So that's why we do it. That's why we're here. We want to see the church flourish. Um, and so just know this, that God has placed a pastor in your life, not just to be another voice among the mob, but to kind of cut through with the word of God, to offer counsel and instruction um, as, if, as if it comes from God himself. And that pastor is merely a messenger or a servant or a conduit uh, of that message. And, and so the way to respond and to interact with um, this pastoral leadership, um, biblically qualified, um, godly pastoral leadership 
is to, as Hebrews 13, 17 says, to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over their souls. So here, here I am, again, they're keeping watch over your souls. They've got a vision for your life. I've got a vision for your life. Um, I want this for you. Jesus wants this for you. Um, and I have to give an account for that, is what it says. And so let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so uh, there, sort of, there's responsibilities in that that are, are put uh, on both parties, of both pr- uh, pastors, of doing it with joy, um, without out, not out of compulsion, of giving, um, they've got to give an account for this, but also for church members that the way that you make this a, a joyful job for them is by obeying. And, and I'm not talking like blind obedience, oh, like saying, oh, thus says the Lord. I'm totally open. I and mean, if I'm preaching, if I say something, I'm like, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure what that means, or I'm not sure if I understand that. My door is always open to, to provide clarity, and maybe I misspoke, and that'll give me opportunity to, to uh, provide clarity, and if I need to repent, repent of, of whatever sin that was in that and mixed messages that, that, that I've made, whether it's a lack of communication or, or clarity. Um, anyway, but, but for the church, this is how God has set the church up, that, that the, the leaders would be godly leaders who are leading the church toward Christ, and that members would be godly members who are submitting to and obeying the leadership that God has placed them underneath so that they would walk uh, in step, following the, you know, when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, walk in step with the leaders into Christ-likeness. And so I just want you to know, I'm here, I'm here for you. Uh, my, I've got a, th- a thing on my wall that, that just reminds me of this. Um, it says, mission first, people always. I, I feel like... Th- Maybe that's a military little little motto or something, but that's been a really really helpful reminder for me as as I've been uh, in pastoral ministry for um, well, I don't even know how long um, seven years something like that uh, six years. Um, but the the mission God has called the leaders to a mission that, that the glory of the Lord would be known all over the world uh, in the hearts of every man, woman, and child. Um, but there's also this personal, this pastoral emphasis that comes along with this, this um, knowing the people, knowing the flock that are among you. And so we're here to spur you on um, in the spirit of Christ with gentleness at times and firmness at times to spur you on in faith in Jesus um, and, and prepare you and equip you for the good works um, that God has saved you to do for the glory of God and for your joy and for the joy of our city. So that's a little bit about what pastors do. Um, that's a little bit about what, what it looks like and how do you interact with it and why God put pastors here for you. Um, and that's why pastors are here to help you walk with Jesus. And so, and I hope that, that my tenure here at Sacred City Church would reflect that, um, and that the Lord would, would uphold me in that, that mission for all the days of my life, as long as I'm in ministry. And that would be the case, um, moving on that, that even, even the next generation of pastors and leaders, church leaders and deacons and MC leaders and all those people, uh, we'd be seeing them raised up, that they would they would have um, modeled for them godly leaders within the church, uh, people that they really want to aspire to, that they see God has done something special in this person's life, and I want to be like them, uh, and that we create a legacy of godly leaders here at Sacred City Church. A little bit of insight. hope that's helpful. Um, I'm going to sign off here. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. I can't wait to be back with you on Sunday morning as we continue on in Ezra chapter 4. Um, good stuff here. Good stuff. I'm, I'm really excited about this passage. I will see you on Sunday morning, um, bright and early, 10 a.m. That's not really that early. It's not even that early. You know what? It's not really that early. Let me ex- exercise some pastoral authority here and say, I would like to exhort you to be at church on time for the, to, for, for the opening song on Sundays so that you can get gain the whole um, 
all the benefits of going through the liturgy with us. You know what? I like that. Okay, so I'll see you Sunday morning, 10 a.m. for the opening song. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your week.